In this week's episode, we talk to artist and musician Caitlin Carey about Ricky Lee Jones. This is The Operative. I'm your host, Chris Williams. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, it's a pleasure. Thank you. To start off, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and your music and your art? Oh, sure. Um, so I, let's see, I, uh, up until about five years ago, made my quote unquote living primarily as a musician. And although doing that feels still like it was just nothing but a, an accident, because I had come to to North Carolina at the age of 24, I think, to study creative writing at NC State. And I got this phone call out of the blue from a guy who um, who was starting a band. And I was like, I have no idea how you even know that I play the violin because I, I had, you know, played seriously as a kid, started real young and um, played classical, violin until I was about 16 and then quit on a dime like you do I mean I could I could not be done with it fast enough and and turned my back on it for what in when you're that age seemed like a really long time until college and then I played just for fun and in some fun jokey bands that took ourselves utterly not seriously at all and although we did perform um uh <laughs> ill-advisedly maybe but anyway um but yeah so i i d- just d- it was not on my radar to play music at all but i for some reason i said yes and joined and and that the thus launched a weird uh 20 year period of um, playing music for for my livelihood. And, you know, it was a f- falling in love with it or in whatever with it along the way process where by the time the, that first band um, split up, I had a collection of my own songs that, that I had been um, frustratedly trying to get that band to play sometimes and then giving up on that project and um uh and and then you know hoarding to myself with the idea of someday making a record and so yeah and and so I well I had contributed to writing in the in the Whiskey Town band um it was like a, a million miles from the kind of songwriting that that felt like it wasn't a million miles from me but anyway i just had stuff i wanted to do on my own so so i made a couple of solo records and then somewhere in there i um started a band with two women uh uh tanya lamb and lynn blakey and we were unfortunately named trace chicas which was like an a weird someone else did that and put it in the newspaper um i feel like that's one of the most unfortunate um naming it's like when you name your dog chewy or something i don't know <laughs> it was really not a good band name but it's stuck very hard anyway um and we made records and 
toured and um, yeah. And somewhere along the way it, it, you know, probably largely due to just um, my innate laziness, the music business began to just feel too hard. And I didn't, you know, it became clear to me that if there was no record industry to um, borrow money from who would at least allow me to sleep in cheap motels instead of on someone's floor, I wasn't really down for it. And, um, <laughs> and you know, for all kinds of uh, beginning to maybe realize that I had never recognized that I might really be a homebody and that I really you know, I know I don't have any regrets about all the places I've been or seen, but I, I think I've learned that I'm not really made for the road for, uh, for the long haul either. Like I, when, when I imagine all of these <laughs> people who used to be our rock and roll heroes and still are, but they're like friggin' old now. And, and even if you're touring at a level of pretty great luxury it's still really hard and you still yeah I don't know still have to ride on airplanes all the time which is the worst part of it if you're lucky enough to be rich enough to tour on airplanes then then you realize how much touring really freaking sucks which wasn't me very many times but a little for short little blips it was and anyway I go on so that's so so quickly I'll say that that then I kind of um all along had been making visual art and for, for my own fun and somewhere along in there, I uh, get sort of took a hard turn from music to, to visual art. And that's been what I've been doing as a quote unquote profession for about five years now, getting, getting on to six years. So yeah, that's me. And I make, I make a fabric, collage uh and yeah uh, and i'm sure chris will you'll share the details where someone could go look at it so i don't have to talk about that right now <laughs> right now <laughs> um so you wanted to talk about ricky lee jones yeah i realized that i had not heard any of ricky lee jones music before so, uh, so yeah, that was, uh, I, and that's happened with multiple guests. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. That it says something about you and your guests and the world of music and how enormous it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone I know musically would be like, what? You haven't heard of Ricky Lee Jones, <laughs> but that's, all. that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I, I think I've realized that I, I, I think it came from uh, getting in, getting to be really good friends with someone who was really into Sonic Youth. So it was like, rather than go to like Glenn Branca and all these other people that led to Sonic Youth, I just skipped all of that and I went Sonic Youth. And it was like, oh, cool. I, <laughs> so, so. You don't need, yeah, I don't need to go all, all, all the way through the path. Well, I'm also... You know, I think the record came out probably before you were born, and it, it was uh, that her her first record had big hits on it that you can you probably you've probably heard them in the grocery store. Yeah, eat, probably. Accidentally, yeah, because I think they still. I've definitely heard Chucky's in Love in a Target or two, um, <laughs> and it always makes me really fucking happy. <laughs> it fe- because it feels like 
impossible that that was a, a big radio hit. I mean, when I listen to it now, it's, it still astonishes me. And, and of course that song is the one of her songs that you're like, well, yeah, if you were, if you were in there making that amazing record as the producer or whatever, you'd be like, yep, that's the, that's the one that we'll send to the radio. But the, the fact that the radio went for it just still seems surprising to me. And that, and that has to do with me not really understanding radio back then and how much way cooler it was than it was for a big chunk of the rest of time until when it got cooler again or wherever we are and to wherever we are now <laughs> which is like i guess they just play everything as far as i can yeah. tell <laughs> yeah <laughs> well uh how did you first come across Rahili Jones? Uh, it was a gift from, I wish I remember which one of my brothers, but I can be forgiven because I have six and they're all a lot older than me. And, um, and I think that, that, that the record, it's an eponymous record, her first record. And I think that it came out in 1979, which would make me nine when I got it, except for I'm not really sure if I really was nine or if I got it later because of course I didn't know anything about the radio then because I lived out in the country with my parents as an only child and I only listened to their music for a really long time like an almost embarrassingly long time which is why Ricky Lee Jones record that was like I think it might have been the first record that I ever owned um blew my blew my mind completely out you know so i was either nine or i want to say maybe i was 12 but i'm pretty sure there is most definitely a picture of me dressed up as the cover of that album because i really wanted to be her and look exactly like that and like completely have the mood of that photograph and i'm pretty sure that's why i as soon as I possibly could, I started smoking cigarettes, which I took on as a vocation for <laughs> quite too many years. <laughs> and so it's fucking Ricky Lee Jones' fault. <laughs> and my dad, who was sneaking cigarettes in the garage. And I didn't know it, but I knew it in my atoms. Uh, so parents out there who are sneaking cigs from your kid, you can't do it. They know. They know it by osmosis. And they're gonna smoke because of you, so don't do it. So what do you what do you think it was about the was it the the novelty of the the, the record itself, or do you think it was the the music? Because the the music listening to it this week, I was really surprised because I know that I I hate to put the label alt country on you because I know that that's typically what what you get associated with. I, so I was expecting it to be something more along those lines, and there's right. like a lot of jazz in it and and that really surprised me and it's it's really great stuff and i really wish that i had found out about it a lot sooner <laughs> but well the, there's no there's no time like now to become a ricky lee jones head she's still making records and like i have not kept up with her but um well i sporadically i i dip back in and i'm real bad for only i mean she's lucky that she got like five records for me because I'm so bad and I don't know, this is a, it, like, 
if I love your one record is highly unlikely that I'm going to, I'm going to like the other record, but I'm probably not going to listen to it very much, <laughs> even <laughs> if it's better than the one that I liked, which is really bad. And I, I, I believe me when I was making my second solo record, I was like, Oh man, they talk about the sophomore curse and all that. And I was like, I am, I am the worst. The karma is come here to kill me. I can't possibly make this off more in anyway. So, um, yeah, I had not heard anything like it. I don't, my, my, my parents, um, musical taste was real limited to, um, mostly Baroque classical music and a pretty good variety of folk music. Um, and one Procol Harum record that my brothers gave my mom. So we had that and I listened to that earlier than Ricky Lee Jones, but I did not really dig it. And then I would hear my, but my, my brothers didn't, live with me ever in my art in my childhood they were all so much older that we never really shared living space so it wasn't like I even got the rock and roll seeping under someone else's door thing very much I mean I would see them and hear what they were listening to but yeah so as far as like you know that thing when you own the record and you are allowed to like my parents let me play it on the record player whenever I wanted to and it was like my thing and I probably I mean I can't even think how many times I listened to it um and then my mom got into it too and she and I had this really special thing where she was she would have we lived out in the country so she would have a long drive to take me to school and we would listen to the college station which i think the morning show was still pretty darn folky like there was a lot of dan fogelberg and gordon lightfoot and stuff like that but there was also some really well i, I think they played ricky lee jones and other really good music so anyway she and i would sort of I, it now that i think about it it kind of felt like we were cheating on my dad because he was such a purist about um folk music and like it couldn't be it was not peter paul and mary it was like doc watson and gene ritchie and like the pure yeah um phil oaks and woody guthrie and pete seeger but not anything that sound anything that crossed over into pop was like anathema and he if it had drums on it he pretty much hated it so yeah mom and i would like go off and cheat on dad and listen to drums sometimes <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah the the something about you know and and i know everyone knows that feeling of that bygone time and now it's back thank god that you sit with the vinyl and you stare at the picture and you I mean I tried reading the lyrics and I was thinking about this like it might also be that Ricky Lee Jones was the first person I ever listened to where you couldn't really understand the lyrics and that was you know, sometimes you can like sometimes she sings very clearly but mostly it's it, you you have to you 
it's more like you're inventing the story by what you think she might be saying. <laughs> um, and I most assuredly had heard very little music like that, that where, you know, what they were saying was not necessarily the point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was not a story song. <laughs> um, and, 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 and there was something also so city feeling about it. Like, and like, there's definitely some, some sex in, and, and a woman being sexy and like, yeah, it, it, it contains for me, at least it contains all of my, um, early abandon is <laughs> in her first two records somehow. <laughs> how, how early did you start playing music? And do you think any, any of what she was doing influenced you starting? I started playing violin when I was four. Oh, so yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I also wrote songs when I was four that are actually pretty good. Sometimes I think they're the best things I've ever written, although I've never put them to, I don't know what music there was, but my mom wrote down the stuff I said and they were really pretty good. Um, and, um, and it, as I, I, I think it's very hard for me to draw much of a line between the kind of her music or the way that she sings, but most definitely the you can be someone who's wears a beret and smokes a cigarette and makes a record and expresses your feelings and your desires and, um, and yeah, and it doesn't have to be telling super literal stories all the time. And yeah, so, so the connections I think would be vague and it's funny how much I love her voice and her singing when I can remember that when I was making my solo records, like a big thing that I said over and over to people was that I w didn't want to, I hated that a baby voice. I didn't want to have that a baby voice or a cute voice. And then, then that I did want the words to be understandable and understood and all the thing. And it's like, I was like, that's all the things that Ricky Lee Jones is not. She does have a, a little, I mean, I, it doesn't read babyish to me, but lots of other people might think it does. It's really high and really um, air. It's got a lot of air in it. And um, yeah, I, so maybe, maybe it was, maybe I reacted against it somehow, but again, we'd have to talk to the non-existent therapist about that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you, do you think maybe that was to, to to be armchair therapist. Do you think that that was uh, sort of a, a way to keep that, that, that feeling that you had with the Ricky Lee Jones to not try and imitate it, but to keep it? I love that thought. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I, and truly that I was going to say like, 
that feels connected to me to the to the reason why I was nervous to do this. And we talked about it before you started recording of like not knowing that much about her, not having, um, uh, you know, read any of the scandals or whatever of her life or any, any of that kind of thing from, um, and, and I feel like when I was making writing songs and making records, I, very much um, wasn't trying to imitate anyone. And it might, yeah, so, so wait, say again what you just said. Do so, you- yeah, trying to keep that, that feeling that, that you had from, the, from listening to those albums, like, like you were talking about with your mom, that to have that time to, in the car and, you know, not trying to emulate what Ricky Lee Jones did. Right. Cause, cause you might, I mean, yeah, if you really, really love an artist, what, what good would imitating them do except for like be a pale. And if you, if you think you can sound like them, you don't like them enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And to, and to be clear too, she's someone like, who else is in this category of like, if people have covered her, I don't like Chip Robinson can sing a Ricky Lee Jones song, but I most assuredly can't like it. If you're going to, she, she's, um, she's so unimitatable that you shouldn't, you absolutely shouldn't try unless you're so removed from even ever remotely I mean if I tried to sing one of her songs there's no way I couldn't just do a terrible pale imitation of her and you know it's like don't don't cover Stevie Wonder don't cover Joni Mitchell you know just don't um and she I feel like fight me a world listening if you um disagree with that she is one of those people that's just her sound is so particular and so um yeah you it just it's not replicable (laughs) (laughs) and you shouldn't (laughs) (laughs) well um is she someone that uh that you've tried to sell to other people over the years I've tried to sell him, sell her to my husband and he's not buying. (laughs) Um, And I think that that's really interesting that she might, she may fall into the category of, you know, people who, there are a lot of people and most of them are female who don't particularly like women singers. I mean, I've heard that a lot and sometimes I've felt it, you know, sometimes I've, I've, I'm, you know, I, I can sadly uh, relate to that sometimes um, that the, the female voice, of course, can, it's, can be high, it can be grating, it can be um, all, all sorts of things that, and, uh, you know, I hate, what, what am I trying to say? That, that's terrible that that is true. And it's probably just sexism. Uh, but you know, everything is subjective, I guess. Uh, yeah, if you say I don't like female singers, you probably haven't listened to enough female singers. But anyway, she definitely has a, I think it's, it might be a cilantro kind of thing with her. And um, 
<laughs> but people that I know that love her, you know, would, yeah. Chip Robinson is one I, that, um, that when I found out that he loved the record Pirates, I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so you said uh, the the first album, and then you also said that uh, you, you enjoyed the second album, Two Pirates. Mm -hmm. um, did you continue listening beyond those albums, or...? I did. I probably listened to her through... Um, and she's made a lot of different kinds of records. She's done a couple, at least a couple of covers records, like doing standards. And she's, yeah, she's been quite prolific, actually. Um, and I listened to her up through um, my sort of 20s. And then for whatever reason, having probably nothing to do with her, just like sort of wandered away and um and i i was funny when i was getting ready to do this i went to go listen to these two records again and was like oh man there's a really new record that i should absolutely check out and uh and i'm so proud of her because she has continued to make music and um and continued to uh like lead this pretty i think and and here's where my ignorance will show, but my impression is that she's managed to um, have a really reputable career without ever being famous, famous. And like, I feel like she's, you know, just been able to, to continue to make records and, and to, um, I've heard her interviewed in recent memory and she just sounded like a, a real optimist and a real feminist and a, someone who was um, championing other women's music. And, you know, she just, I think she's the bee's knees. I, I, I have um, this almost phobia about meeting my heroes. And so I've never sought out trying to connect with her on Facebook or something or whatever you would do um, or even really keep up that closely with with her yeah th that's my impression of her is that she's a career musician who's really done it on her own terms and and continues to have a long and successful career which is remarkable if you were going to suggest an album for someone to listen to you think they should just start with the beginning yeah the first two are just so good and they're and they're similar enough to i mean there's you can i feel like you can feel a lot of growth between the first and the second record like there's a some assurance and some further innovation in pirates and like yeah, so I guess if you have to pick one, do Pirates, but definitely just do both. And then, to me, her records up through the um, through the '90s are are really good. There there may be some duds in there. I can't say I've listened to all of them, but if I looked at a list, I could be like, oh yeah, I totally listened to that record for a whole year, and it's great. But it's the first two that you know. When I go listen to Ricky Lee Jones now, I just really only want the the first two. You know, she was kind of an overnight sensation it seems like like she was playing in a coffee shop and she had the major label fairy tale story at least for a, a minute there and um apparently she was a darling of rolling stone so i'm sure that there are 
really great articles written about her. And I think it's funny. I feel like I know from like, this seems like, like the pop rocks, Coca-Cola kind of world that she has had a lifelong heroin habit, but that could be just a total lie. And I wouldn't know, (laughs) but I just have always like, and I remember someone, whoever, whoever talked about it to me, at whatever age I was, was like, yeah, it's, it's cool. Cause apparently heroin is something that like a lot of people get really messed up on. But if you just do just the regular amount every day, that's what Ricky Lee Jones does. So don't hold me to that. But if somebody, you know, you might want to go read up on that. And like, if that is true, then like get a heroin habit, I guess. That's <laughs> what we'll take from Caitlin Carey talking about Ricky Lee Jones and knowing nothing about whether that is true or not. <laughs> if people want to find your music and your art, uh, where, where can they do that? There are probably some extraordinarily lame links about my music on my website, which focuses more on the art because that's what I'm focusing more on uh, at CaitlinCarey.com. And I think you can find my music on the, the usual iTunes and that sort of thing. I, I don't think I have any super obscure records. I didn't really make all that many, but I think that the main ones are on the places. The Operative is produced in conjunction with Radio Nope. For more information, visit radionope.com. And for all of our past episodes, visit theoperative.bandcamp.com. Thank you. Something less than something